We have two scripture readings today. The first is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life. The second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. For it, it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the cross, so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls." Thanks be to God. Oh, say, hang on, hang on. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Which is not printed here. But I did look over my shoulder. Sorry. Sorry. That is okay. What's the saying that goes, like, nothing good happens after 2 a.m.? What is the time? 2 a.m. We'll just say 2 a.m., right? So it's about 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm sleeping somewhat restfully at home on pager coverage as a hospital chaplain when the pager goes off. Jump out of bed, check the message. It's a page from the ER, and they want me to come in. In the darkness, I do my best not to disturb my wife, get dressed, get to the car, drive to the hospital. This is during the fall of 2014, so a few years back. In late August of that year, I had begun a volunteer chaplain internship program, otherwise known as clinical pastoral education. Being on call was one of the requirements, and our shift was 5 p.m. Friday evening until 8 a.m. Monday morning. Long stretch. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Trust me, it felt like that at times. We're, requ- we're required to respond to any and all cha- pages requiring a chaplain, no matter the time or circumstances. In this instance, I was told the patient had requested a chaplain, so I came into the hospital. So, parked into the lot, walked into the lo- lobby, 
you know, took my badge, scanned into the double doors, keep walking, scanned to the next double doors, and I walked as bravely and confidently as I could as an unpaid volunteer chaplain at 2 a.m. in the morning to the nurse's station and was pointed down the hall toward one of the psych rooms. My anxiety, which was somewhat contained at that point, ratcheted up considerably. Slowly I made my way down the hall until I was standing outside the room. As I looked in the window, well, that's when things got really exciting. I'd arrived outside the room just as there were a team of security guards holding down the patient and putting them in restraints. The patient was thrashing and shaking, making all kinds of indiscernible grunts and groans, reacting to what I guessed or had heard, I don't remember, was an apparent drug overdose. Again, I'm standing there watching all this go down, knowing I'm supposed to go into the room, provide some measure of pastoral care. After a few minutes, the security guards came out, you know, brushed themselves off, took off their gloves, catching their breaths. And I wonder, how in the world did this patient in this disassociative, disassociative state ask for a chaplain? Regardless, I have no choice. I've been paid to the hospital to provide care. So I took a deep breath and walked into the room. Hello, I say. My name is Lauren Richmond. I'm one of the chaplains here. I sit down. Meanwhile, the patient continues to thrash and groan and grunt and shake. And at a loss for what to do, I grab my Bible and start reading from the Psalms. I can't be certain, but from what I remember, I read from Psalm 23, and then I think also from Psalm 91. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, or the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but you will not, it will not come near you. And then again I read from Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So here I am, I'm reading scripture to this patient amidst their shakes and their shivers and their grunts and their groans, when all of a sudden, the patient starts reciting the Lord's Prayer. Now again, as you can probably imagine, it's a bit disjointed and mumbled, but I recognized it for what it was. And together, in that psych room amidst the patient shivering and shaking and grunting and groaning, while they were restrained to their bed, we said the Lord's Prayer together. 
It's been years since that night, but if memory serves, the patient actually settled down a bit after that prayer. I said a prayer of my own aloud, stayed for a few more minutes, and I left the room with quite the story to tell. And that story has stuck with me ever since. Here was someone in the midst of deep darkness, perhaps literally as well as metaphorically in the valley of the shadow of death. And still, even here, this person seemed to recognize the presence of God among them. That's really what hospital chaplaincy is all about. As a hospital chaplain, there's nothing I could do to help the patient or their loved ones. I couldn't give medicine. I couldn't run a procedure. The most I could do, from a Christian perspective at least, was to be a reminder of physical presence of God and to be a vessel through which God's love and grace could flow through. In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of heartbreak, in the midst of impending doom, that's what I sought to do. To remind folks that in their deepest, darkest valleys, they are not alone. That God is with them. Wiser ones than me have noted that death and tragedy is inescapable. As Jesus said, in this world there will be trouble. And trouble is what I saw again and again during my time as a hospital chaplain. A new father with his whole family in town to celebrate his young son's baptism rushed to the ER with a heart attack who would ultimately die on the table. A middle-aged person admitted with COVID who my colleague told to kiss their spouse goodbye. I saw this person in their room before they were moved up to the ICU and vented, from which they would not escape. A father and partner near my own age in the prime of his life whose body had succumbed to the disease of alcohol. In truth, nothing made me want to become a prohibitionist more than seeing families and their loved ones ravaged by alcohol. Even still, we all have our own stories. An unexpected death, a tragedy that cuts straight to the heart, the pain of seeing someone we love overtaken by an addiction. Try as we might, we cannot escape the valley of the shadow of death. In this world, there will be pain, there will be suffering, there will be tragedy. What can we do when death comes as unexpected? When tragedy cuts straight to the heart, when we're powerless to help someone escape their suffering? It's in these times, I believe, we must remember that Jesus said, I have overcome the world. And when Jesus said, he has overcome the world, I don't believe that Jesus meant that he will free us or rid us from all pain and trouble. Rather, I believe that when Jesus said he has overcome the world, he meant that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from God's love. And because of that, God is present and with us no matter where we're at, 
no matter where we find ourselves. I'm reminded of another psalm attributed to David, Psalm 139. There the psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become as night, even there, even there the darkness is not too dark for you. For all of us at one time or another, there will come a time when the darkness feels overwhelming. When even in the midst of the brightest day, we feel lost in the dark. I know I've been there. I imagine you too have been there at one point. But let us take heart, for as the scriptures say, the darkness, the darkness is not too dark for God. Yea, though we walk through the darkest valleys, we need not fear. For God is with us. You, we go, we go to church. We engage in these spiritual practices, not just for the good times in life, or even to simply celebrate all we have, as much as important as that is. But it's also to ground us and to equip us for when tragedy strikes. And when it inevitably does, It's these things we will grab onto and hold to tightly. These things and these people, these prayers and these practices, they remind us that we are not alone and that God is with us and that God's love and peace can sustain us through the depths of the darkest valleys. As I said, I don't think anything magical or special happened when I walked into a room as a hospital chaplain. In truth, I believe that God was and is already present, as the psalmist said. My job was simply to be a visible reminder, a living vessel through which God's love and peace and hope could tangibly flow. This is what I believe our prayers and practices are about. Not all, of course. Much is to celebrate. But rituals help remind us. Our prayers help remind us. When we find ourselves in pain, in heartache, in tragedy, in the depths of the deepest valleys, there, like it was for that patient so many years ago, These prayers and practices, they come back to us and they remind us that we are not alone and that God is with us. As I shared earlier, one of the the stories from my time as a hospital chaplain that really stays with me is of a new father, similar in age to myself. The entire family was in town for the baptism of the child. Rushed into the ER when his heart stopped, the doctor grabbed me from the room next door. There I was literally sitting with an older man on the brink of death who was alone himself. 
I met with a family overwhelmed, as you can imagine, with grief and despair, kneeling with them on the floor as they wept and they cried, trying to support them in their pain. One of the family members asked for a priest, so I sprinted away to the phone and called for a priest. Shortly thereafter, the priest arrived. I rushed the priest into the cardiac room just as the patient would expire, and the priest delivered last rites at the end of the life. As more and more family gathered again, they had been in town for what they thought would be a joyous celebration. Myself, the doctor, and the priest spoke with the family. Obviously, incredibly bereaved at this tragic loss, though taking some small measure of comfort in knowing that the patient had received this final ritual at the end of his life. And as a large ethnic family mourned together, though I could not understand all of what was said, even still shared songs, chants, prayers, I knew was giving the family something to hold on to in this time of chaos, tragedy, disaster. Through the power of prayer, through the power of ritual, through the power of presence, this family was reminded that God was and is with them. Through the power of prayer, presence, and ritual, we are reminded you too will be reminded that God is with you and that you are not alone, even in the midst of your deepest, darkest valleys. I want to invite you this morning to grab the red pew Bibles from the pew in front of you. We're going to say together Psalm 23. It's on page 485. I invite you to say this along with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <laughs> 